0: Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, get your Bibles out. Philippians chapter 2 is where I'd love for you to be. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back right in front of you. Please join me there. If you don't own a Bible, don't leave today without one. We've got tons to give to you. Philippians 2, that's in the New Testament and part of the smaller letters for those of you who are new to the Bible. Philippians 2. Guys, we're, we're picking back up in our series called Transformed, and and I've got to admit something. Um, I had a conversation with a couple that visited here earlier um, this week, and, and I've got to admit to you, I am in this sermon series for totally selfish reasons, right? Right. Um, We've been in this for, this is actually kind of the sixth week, but if we, were, we include Austin's shared testimony of transformation, that'd be seven weeks. And, and we're not done yet. We've got about three more weeks to go. And, and, and I got to tell you that I'm, I'm in it for selfish reasons because I am tired of not knowing how to grow in my relationship with Christ and how to grow in Christ-likeness. And I wanted to know. And so that's why we've been in this series because I've been wanting to see this happen in my own personal walk with Christ, and I thought maybe you guys would just benefit from it. So, so y'all are just seeing things on this stage that have been happening in the stage of my own life. So, gotta just have to confess some selfishness in me, uh, and I hope it's been helpful. There was a couple who said this has been encouraging for them, so I'm glad to hear that. Um, We left off three Sundays ago with a pretty dramatic Sunday. And, and we, we, we left off where scripture pinpoints exactly where the transformation in our life seems to happen, right? We, it, it, that, that there's a, a pinpoint of God, a, a target of God in, in what he transforms or renews so that we can see this crazy transformation and growing up into maturity in the believer's life. And, and it has such a inward uh, change that makes such a drastic outward effect. In the person's life, and and so let's just shout this all out together. Uh, do not be conformed to be this world, but be transformed by the what renewing of our minds. Right, the renewing of our minds. And we talked a few weeks ago about how the mind in our hearts is really where we hold all of our convictions, all of our core beliefs, what we truly hold on to as true. Right, and we feel all of those beliefs. Right, um, some of you. Remember uh, a little friend that we brought in, uh, a snake. Um, and, 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 and if this is your first Sunday here, I need to just go ahead and tell you, we're not one of those Pentecostal snake-holding churches where we bring out rattlesnakes and we're testing whether or not we're going to get bit and live, right? We're not that kind of church. So I'm not f- trying to communicate that. But we did bring out a snake um, to point something out. But I, I do need to also say this. I called a few people the week after that and I apologized and they were thankful for the apology because some people were just not amused by it. Some people just took off and, and left. Um, and and, and I, I, I realized and it proved the point, right? But, but I did apologize to some people and, 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 and we're not gonna be bringing a snake back in here for the foreseeable future, right? Now, others of you thought, since I was gone the week that followed that, maybe I had been fired. Um, or somebody had just been so mean to me that I needed a break, but, but no, I, I was just on vacation, it was good. but um, The whole point of that was to point out that we felt different things about that snake and therefore did different things about that snake. So the person who felt fear did what? Boom! Took off, right? The person who felt curiosity wanted to do what? come touch it, pet it, right? Hold it, which maybe you got to do after the service. Apparently, we're a zoo, a petting zoo, right? I didn't know that would happen. But anyways, that's, that was really cool. I was glad that happened. But but you see, all of that, the, the fear or the curiosity, were driven by what was deeper, right? Which we learned was what? What is, what is deeper than our feelings and our actions, our convictions, our beliefs, right? So the whole point of that was to say, well, uh, I believe that snakes are dangerous, so I need to run away. Or I believe that snakes are unique and I'm curious. And so let me go try to pet it. So they're, they're all based on more subtle, more deeper convictions and beliefs about the thing, right? So if renewing the mind then is about changing our core convictions, about seeing God change our core beliefs, then we're obviously then going to see things change about how we feel and then to see things change about how we do things. So that's why God seems to target the mind in our hearts, the, the inward convictions of what we believe truly. And if, if truth invades that space, if truth invades what we are convinced about, and our faith is refined, then goodness, we're going to see growing Christ in us. See, God growing Christ in us, uh, developing in us appropriate and mature emotions. Not the, not the absence of emotions, but right emotions, right? Some, someone said, uh, I don't got time for emotions. Nobody got time for that. It's like, well, brother, that's the key to the door to your heart, bro. You got to figure that out. And Once we see Christ developing emotions and we see him developing our actions as a response, right? Now, if you missed that sermon, which was that was like it in three minutes, five minutes, um, you can go online to the website and listen to it there and tune back in and catch up with right that. So, but we're at this point where we, we, we understand that, right? Like, I don't know if I have to do anything more to convince us or, or, or to argue from God's word that, that mind renewal, the convictions of within are what God is trying to transform in us and renew in us so that we can grow into maturity like Christ's fullness. I don't think we have to convince anymore of that, about that, right? I think we're all in agreement that that's where God Renews us, and we see transformation. But the next question is: So what? What do we do with that? What do we do? What are, What are we supposed to do about that? And just how deep are we supposed to go? What What is our responsibility in this whole mind renewal thing? What does that look like for us? And how deep are we supposed to go with it? And, and that's what we're going to be looking at today in, in Philippians chapter two. Mainly in verse 12, we're going to hint at verse 13, but mainly verse 12. And, and if you're there already, you can see verse 12 starts off with what word? Therefore, which means we have to do what? We have to look back, right? We got to go look back, right? We got to look ahead. We got to look uh, uh, back in the context and figure out what's going on. So, so we all know Philippians 2 is the chapter of what? Humility, right? It's the chapter about the exaltation of Christ through the pathway of humility, right? Paul, in the beginning of chapter two, just exhorts us to to live in humility. He literally says to count other people as more important than ourselves. Whoa, that's a change of belief, which creates the feeling of humility. So we've, we've got this going on, right? Paul exhorts us to live in humility And this humility, he says, is available. This mindset of humility is available to us in Christ Jesus. And it's demonstrated by Christ Jesus, right? How he condescended from heaven, leaving his glory, not considering it something to be plundered for his own pleasure and gain. But he put that aside, came down, took on human flesh all the way to the cross to die in our place, right? As we see in in, in verses six through eight. And we basically see God became man, dwelt among us, dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because Christ humbled himself, he was exalted to the highest place so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And so we we have that as our background. That's the context. He just told us how glorious Christ is through the pathway of humility to exaltation, right? And what Paul is about to say is based completely on that. Because this is true, therefore, verse 12, let's read it. Therefore, my dear friends, or my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. So guys, we've, we've got this. We've got two kind of almost polar opposite truths that seem to be here. You know how we have those coffee mug verses, right? We, we, we've got those favorite verses of ours that we put on our coffee mugs. Like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Lord. Then we've got one in here, verse 13. It says, God is working in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'll drink to that. Amen. Give me a coffee. That's great. We put that on the coffee label. But then we also have our chalkboard verses, right? The chalkboard verses where they they sound like, man, it's not working. Oh, well, it sounds like chalk on a board, right? And it doesn't sound pleasant, doesn't sound attractive at all. You don't want to label it on a coffee mug. But when you step back and, and let a teacher kind of explain what all is happening there, you're like, oh, okay. That doesn't sound so bad. I, I get it. I see what you're saying there. But well, we've got one here, right? Paul is commanding us as believers to do what? Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Guys, if you're, if you're new to the faith, this is probably pushing up some red flags for you within you, right? Like, wait, wait a minute, what? Hold on. I, I thought we were supposed to receive it by faith through grace, right? So, 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 I mean, first off, one of the things he says is work out. Work out. So Paul's wanting us to work out. Already he's lost some of us because that's just not our thing. But then we're to work out what? Work out our salvation. Wait, so the whole thing that we get whenever we believe in Jesus, we're, to, we're supposed to work that out? Okay, hold on, that's confusing. So, so let's do this, let's do this. Let's say, let's say I was one of those weirdos who goes to the gym on a routine basis. I'm just kidding. I, I don't go clearly, but those who go are not weirdos. Anyways, not to offend anybody. All this to say, let's say we were to go to the gym and I wanted to work out, right? I would be working out probably to do what? Get this smaller, and get these bigger, right? To get swole and slim at the same time. I wanna earn a good looking body, right? That's what we often do when we want to work out, right? That's our mentality, to earn it. Or maybe it's just to maintain it, to keep it, right? So you've already, you've already done the work to get it and you're just going to the gym because you, you, you gotta keep it, you gotta maintain it. You don't wanna lose that six pack that you've earned so hard, right? No. you. So, so it's either to earn it or to maintain it when we work out. Is that what Paul's meaning here? We've got to work out to earn our salvation or that we've got to work out to keep it and maintain it all the while being just totally terrified and trembling whether or not we've lost it. Woof. So, I mean, let's just be real. The Greek word here is katargazomai, And in some places, that word can be translated as to, to produce, to bring about, to accomplish. So is Paul saying, like, I've got to maintain, I've got to earn or produce my own salvation? If that's true, then goodness, yeah, I'm going to be terrified and trembling. Now, of course, that's not the gospel. We know multiple places in Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it says that we're saved by grace through faith. That's not our own works. It's a gift of God so that we can't boast about it. We also see in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 that we're justified by faith alone, declared right, saved by faith alone. So what is Paul meaning when he says work out your own salvation? Well, that Greek word can be used elsewhere as well, and it's translated elsewhere as to do to do your salvation or to to carry out a task until it's finished. So one commentator says it's basically, hey, to put into effect with continuous, sustained, strenuous effort. So so this isn't earning salvation, right? This isn't earning it. We, we, We receive it, right? But salvation isn't just something we receive. Salvation is something that we do, in other words, we're being told to make salvation work in our lives, or to work to live as the saved people that we already are. But what do we mean by salvation? Because some of us, including myself, have yet and may not ever fully comprehend so great a salvation that Christ has won for us we may not yet understand how vast it is, how comprehensive it is. Because because if I can be honest, some of us still think that salvation is just getting out of hell and getting into heaven. Is that all salvation is? Do do you wanna know how I know we do that? You wanna know how I know that too many of us kind of still have held on to salvation as just being that? It's because when we talk to people like our kids, Or like our neighbors or people about being saved, we talk to them about getting out of hell and getting into heaven as the primary means of salvation or the primary goal or gift of salvation. And so when you talk to your kids about that and you say, hey, kid, I love you. I'm gonna tell you, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're gonna go to hell and you're not gonna be with mommy and daddy forever. You're gonna be in heaven. So just pick one or the other, right? Of course, every kid is gonna be like, yeah, I want heaven. I want to go to heaven where mommy and daddy are. So take me there. Whatever I have to accept or believe, you tell me to believe, I'll believe it. So then I'll go to be to heaven with mommy and daddy. So so we, we can kind of diminish the gospel in that sense. Of course, every child is going to receive that. Is that salvation? Yes, 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 it is. In the sense that we're saved from perishing. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from eternal damnation. But... Scripture says we're also saved from a debased mind, prone to deceit. It says that we're saved from the dominating rule of sin, where we had no ability to do anything else. It says that we're saved from slavery to doing everything our sinful flesh desired. It says that we're saved from blindness to God's glory. Like we're saved out of that. We couldn't see God and how beautiful he was and our salvation means now we can see it. Being saved also means that, that, that we're saved from a distance and an alienation to God, meaning we've been brought close to him. We've been brought near to him. It also says that salvation includes that we're, we're, we're saved from impurity and, and defilement. In other words, Scripture says that we're also being saved from believing things that aren't true. We're not stuck in being deceived. So let me give you an example of this, right? You guys know that wretched traitor of a man named Zacchaeus, right? That wee little man. I wonder how tall he would compare to me. Is he this big? I don't know. And what happened, right? I mean, nobody liked him. He was a tax collector. Jews hated him. And, and Jesus Went to his home and Zacchaeus got to encounter the living God in the person of Christ. And what happened? Zacchaeus believed upon Jesus. He received Jesus. And then what did he do? Oh my goodness. He restored fourfold to everybody he had defrauded and he gave half the rest of his possessions to the poor. My goodness. You know what Jesus said in response? Truly, salvation has come to this house. Not because Zacchaeus earned it by doing those things, but it was clear that he had been set free from a debased mind that thought that money was the end all of things and that people could be used to be extorted for our own gain. No, he had been set free, saved from a debased mind, blind to his own sin. He saw what was true. See, salvation means much more than just getting out of hell and getting into, into heaven. That's why Paul can say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So let me try to illustrate it in another way. And and I realize that any earthly illustration at some point is just gonna break down and fall flat. So take it for what it is, everything that it isn't, don't take, okay? So this right here is a what? A guitar, right? It's a guitar, Uh, it's a a Fender, I can't even remember. Yep, can't even read it. It's a Fender acoustic guitar, and this was my mom's brothers. His name is Timmy. And my uncle Timmy died a few years ago um, from alcoholism. And I inherited this from him. It came fully functional. I didn't have to do anything to get it to play or to work. I didn't do anything to earn it, right? I, I, I didn't buy it from him. I got it because he died. And so I had this guitar. I got it a few years ago, and, and obviously I, I, I didn't just pick it up, right? Like I, I've been playing, I think, since ninth grade. I've been playing since ninth grade at the guitar and And when I first started out, it sounded something like this. How pleasant does that sound? Yeah. Not very pleasant, right? You know, new believers can sometimes sound like that. They've got this new gift that is in their life and it may sound more, may sound like that sometimes, but they've got it. But I, I, I got a guitar and and I I wanted to see what all could be done with it. I was interested. And so I, I started to learn some things, right? So oh That was the first song I ever learned. Mary Had a Little Lamb. But then you started getting into progressions and chords. It sounds pretty nice, right? So I committed myself to, to learning this and, and growing in how to work this out in my life. And not too bad. I definitely have a long way to go. But it's, it's going somewhere. And this, it, it took some, some, some effort, some work to practice. And, and I had a teacher come in and teach me how to play this thing. And, and it was good. And, and I started getting better and better and better. And this started working itself out. And, and now I'm at this place where I'm more intrigued, not only by other instruments, but by how I can carry this into different genres of music in, in the realm of music theory. All right, so we've got something similar to this, like salvation. Let's say that salvation is like this guitar. We've been given it, didn't earn it, didn't fight for it or buy it with our good works. It was given to us simply by faith. And if you got one and you tucked it up in your attic, would people believe you had a guitar or could play? Probably not. But if they could see you working out, you're playing guitar. Would, would they say, yeah, they, he's got one. I see it. In The same way we have the salvation that we've been given that's so comprehensive and yet we've only scratched the surface of all that it means for our lives. And so what Paul is commanding us to do here is to say, hey, pick up your salvation and play. Pick it up and work it out. Learn all the different areas that it can, can invade Right? All the different ways that it can impact how you relate to your spouse, how you, how you care for your children, how you go to work, how you drive to work. Goodness, your salvation can influence that. You don't have to be captive to a debased mind that gets mad when somebody cuts you off. You can be like, oh, <laughs> go be safe. Right? Like we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not caught in that anymore. We're, we're saved. We have salvation. And, and imagine all that it can do in your lives when you just pick up and, and work it out. And cooperate with the Lord. Have a teacher working with you and learning how to work out how comprehensive a salvation we have into, into every area of our lives. And goodness, it will change things. Goodness. So that's, that's that, right? And there might be some ways that that breaks down and, and you probably have already thought of 12, so I'm sorry. But, but what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm asking here, what I'm begging here is is for us as believers to understand that we don't just get to passively receive salvation and put it up in the attic and say, I've got it. I've got my hellfire insurance. I'm going I'm to get out of hell and get into heaven for the rest of eternity and I can just live however I want to live the rest of my life, right? That's not the salvation that we've received. That's not why Christ purchased us. We wanted to be like Jesus when we came to him. And so so what I'm... What I'm what I want so desperately for us to understand is that we can't just passively sit back and say, all right, God, just do whatever you want and then go do off whatever we want. If we're gonna see any kind of transformation, if we're gonna see anything that happens in our spiritual minds that would transform us, we have to cooperate with God. There is this active cooperation with God that we have to be about. We have to pick up our salvation and play with God. So this is, this is what I'm getting at. Can we read this together? One, two, three. We actively cooperate with God in mind renewal. There's some working out, guys. This is, this is that holy sweat that I've been talking about every now and then. This is, this is where we put in our effort We put in effort, not earning, but effort. Guys, Jonathan Edward says it this way. He says, we are not merely passive in transformation, nor yet does God do some and we do the rest. But God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. For that is what he produces, our own acts God is the only proper author and fountain. We only are the proper actors. We are, in different respects, wholly passive and wholly active. The Christian faith was never meant to just be received and tucked away. It was meant to transform us. So honestly, this is, I think this is why we have such a vast array of different levels of spiritual maturity within the church worldwide. Right? Because there are people who have been picking up their salvation and they've been playing. Oh my goodness, they've been working with the Lord and learning all how their salvation has won for them, all the salvation has done for them. So we must commit to actively cooperating with God in our transformation by the renewing of our mind. Mind renewal isn't just simply a passive, all right, God, renew my mind, and then running off to expose our minds to things that aren't true. We must work with God. We must cooperate with God in him renewing our minds. We can't renew our minds ourselves, but we do need to put in the effort to expose our minds to he who is the truth. And that's what I think Jesus says when when he's asked, what do we do to perform the works of God? In, In John 6, people asked him, what can we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus replied, this is the work of God. That you believe in the one he has sent. That you believe. Or are convinced about. That you be convinced about Jesus and all that he says is true. And all that he is because he is true. This is the work of faith. That we believe. That we would believe rightly. So, so we are actively cooperating with God because he wants to speak truth to us. He sent his spirit to lead us into truth. He sanctifies us by truth and we expose ourselves. We do the work of exposing ourselves to what is true. That's how we actively cooperate because you remember, this is, this is the first step that we're talking about. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the anatomy of the inner life. We know our convictions lead to our emotions and actions. So, so if we're putting in all of our active effort into what we're convinced about, My goodness, will we grow. We'll start seeing little Christ people popping up all over the place here in our church. So let me give you an example of of how this would work out in an everyday life situation from a, a personal story. Now, I need to just go ahead and again tell you, I hope you already knew this. I'm not... Perfect. So the story that I'm about to tell you will shatter your belief if you believe that I should be perfect as a pastor. Okay? So if I see somebody get up and leave, then great. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you an example from my own life. And here we go. How many of you find joy when you're home? is organized and clean. Mm Mm-hmm. How many of you have kids that rob you of that joy every day? (laughs) Guys. All right, so I, I I grew up in a home that was organized and clean. My mom did it in a way, my dad did it in a way where it was good stewardship. I took it as my value. And, and I had this belief, right? Everything has a home, right? Whose mom told them that? Everything's got a home. You got a, your shoe has a home. You put it in the home or it gets lost, right? <laughs> so, so all that to say, I've got some background issues <laughs> with this. But, I, but I, 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 I get home one day from work and... And this happened a few weeks ago and I got home from work and I I walked into the house and where I walk in from the driveway, we enter into the playroom, which is probably the worst room to have the highest expectations for, right? But it's the playroom. And and I opened the door and the night before we had done all this work, the kids done all this work to clean it up. And I opened the door and as far as the eye could see, there was no floor. It was it was covered in toys and paper and crafts and trash and food particles and everything that you could imagine under the sun was just covering and blanketing the floor. So there was no pathway through to get to the stairs across the room. I felt like Indiana Jones just trying to protect my life getting from one side of the room to the other. But guys, all those convictions about a clean home and everything and walking into the playroom I'm triggered I opened the door to my house after a really good day and I'm already annoyed and angry because I see what's in front of me. And you know what happened because I was annoyed and angry? Well, I went upstairs and I was, I was pretty short with my kids and, and, and distant. And, and with my wife, I was, I was just kind of short-tempered as well. Did she deserve that? Did she do anything to earn that? Does anybody really? No. But there were some things that I had in mind to say that I didn't say, right? But is that true transformation? No, you're actually just suppressing the behavior that wants to come out. True transformation would be opening that door and the first feelings are overwhelmed with compassion and love in service, because they're rooted in the convictions of, oh, oh my goodness, my wife must have had a terrible day if the kids had been this crazy. I need to go serve her. Oh man. What if, what if that's what, what came naturally when, when that door first flung open and I was triggered? My goodness, that'd be a game changer. That'd be more like true transformation into Christ. But no, that's not what happened. I was feeling annoyed. I was feeling angry. I was annoyed because if I started doing the work of, of getting after what I'm convinced about. What am, I, what am I believing? I was annoyed because I thought my kids were disrespecting me. I just, I took it as that. Why am I annoyed? Okay, why am I annoyed? Uh, my kids are disrespecting me. But is that true? No! No, the kids weren't like pouring out all the toys. Dad's going to hate this. <laughs> like, no, they weren't, they weren't doing that. They are kids, for crying out loud. Why was I angry? Why was I angry? Because I believe that having a, a messy house made me look bad. Because of all the convictions that I've had in the past. And I praise the Lord that we're not trapped in that. We're not stuck in that sort of thing, right? We have a Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God's presence verily in us, who says, hey, I can convince you of what's true about this. In this single instance in my life, God is ready to convince me of what's true. And not only that, but I've got brothers and sisters here in my church in my church family who care about me and want me to demonstrate godliness. And I worked with a brother and, and we started asking these questions. We found out that those beliefs were motivating the feelings and the actions that I was taking. And 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 we looked at the beliefs and not just simply the surface ones, right? Not just simply the ones that come across across at the top. Oh well the kids did this, right? No. Nope. No, you go deeper, you go to the deepest part. We went to the depths all the way to the point where God literally revealed that, that I believe my significance and worth comes from having those things that are associated with me of excellent quality. If anything is associated with me, it's got to be perfect. So that's a lot of why I've, I've experienced stress this morning, because there's so many details that I can't control, that I'm too involved in, and I felt stressed because everything has to be. Perfect. My value comes from that. Or anything that I produce. So this sermon has to be perfect. Because my value is determined by that. But are those things true? No. I know that up here. I know that intellectually, but I'm not convinced of it. I'm double-minded in this area. I know my value doesn't come from things that are like the things that I produce being perfect, but for some reason, it feels true. What I know to be true is that my value alone comes from the blood of Jesus Christ who purchased my pardon. That's where our value is. And so, so at that point, we, we, we found this underlying belief that has influenced a lot of my life, not just in whether or not I need a clean home, but in how I spend my days in my office, stressing over things that are perfect or not perfect. How many hours I spend putting into like a little handbook that people are only going to read for a single Sunday, hours and hours, because everything has to be perfect. And so we, we at that moment, uh, Pastor Bruce is the one who's working with in this. And we just, we went to the Lord and we were like, father it's 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 clear that scott is believing this and you're showing us that it's not true would you convince scott of what is true and i got to tell you jesus is quick to send his spirit to lead us into truth when we're willing to cooperate with him every time now i can't say that i'm not like oriented more about details and things but but I can go home and there can be a messy house and the kid's bedroom can be a mess and I can go snuggle with them and and not be as irritated. Not because I earned that, but because I asked the Lord to change my convictions about those things. And so what I'm asking you to do is to not waste those moments when you're feeling the emotions that you know aren't godly or when you're doing things that you know are not godly. Don't waste those things and say, like, think that the goal is just simply to not do the things that you want to do. Yeah, there's a point there, and it's a good thing to not act out in fullness everything that you're feeling. But at some point, you've got to go back and, and examine what all happened. And you've got to ask the questions, the really tough questions. So, so, like, hey, why was I feeling envy that made me talk so poorly about this person? Or what? Why was I feeling pride that made me speak in such an arrogant way to this person? Guys, all of those ungodly points are not meant for condemnation anymore in Christ. They're just simple signposts that say, hey, grow up here. No, oh, no, yeah, this area. Grow up here too. Hey, this area, maintenance required. And no condemnation. But hey, there's an invitation from the Lord. Hey, come cooperate with me. I'm ready to transform your life in this area. Will you come and work with me? Because I'm ready to work with you. There are little signposts that say, hey, here's an opportunity for God to transform you. And you're not going to be condemned by your church. And you're not going to be condemned before the throne of God because Christ's blood covers you. So when we talk about and we share our emotions and our actions that aren't godly, You should not fear condemnation from us. You should only fear missing out on that opportunity where God wants to transform you. So here's really quick. Basically, that whole story about my perfectionism put down into a few simple steps of how we can work out the salvation, how we can work in our mind renewal. So uh, they're gonna be up on the screen, five simple steps, to, to renew our minds, to cooperate with God to renew our minds. First and foremost, look for signposts, right? Those, those feelings that you know aren't godly, like the, the things that aren't, are counter to the fruits of the spirit. Like if you're not feeling love, but you're feeling hate, right? So, so pay attention. Be, be, be on the lookout for those things in your life. When you look at porn, or when, you, when you're commit, uh, looking at another woman or a man in a way that you shouldn't, and you're lusting after them, step back and be like, whoa, 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 whoa okay, well, what am I believing about that? What's going on there in my heart? What am I believing about this? Look for the signposts. And then step two is do what I just said. Examine the beliefs that motivated the feelings or behaviors. Examine those beliefs. Ask yourself, why did I feel jealous? Why did I feel angry? Why did I do this ungodly thing? Next thing is just dig deeper deeper. Guys, we can be content with really shallow convictions, but guys, most of how we operate comes from really deep down. And you gotta you gotta work with God's Spirit to, to dig real deep into those true convictions. Get to the depths, not just the surface ones. Step four prayerfully present false beliefs to the Lord. You're you're cooperating, you're actively cooperating with God, and you're saying, All right, God, apparently this is what's true in here, and I need you to change this, so would you? Present them. Guys, I can't tell you how many times in the last eight months I've done this and seen God radically transform my convictions. Because this is what He does the Spirit convinces us of what's true. This is the fifth step. Ask Him, God, would you change my convictions? refine my faith here, especially in this area. Tell me what is true. And if you're talking to the Spirit of God, the only thing He'll ever be able to tell you is truth. Which is why you also need to have a good grasp on Scripture so you can, you can see if they're contradicting to one another. Because that's... That's what I want to invite you into for growing into maturity. I want you to cooperate with the Lord, actively cooperate. This isn't a passive thing. This is us saying, God, I want to grow and I want to work with you. So I want to do these steps. I want to work this out. I want to grow into Christ's likeness. In other words, really what I'm asking you is are you willing to surrender every single part of your life to the transforming work of God Or do you know of certain doors that you've got locked and you say, God, you can't go in there? Not yet, at least. Are you willing to surrender every single part of your life to what God wants to do in your life? To transform and mold you and shape you into the image of Christ? Because guys, Jesus has truly won for us so great a salvation. That it can radically reform how you work, how you relax, how you love, how you lead people, how you evangelize. Your salvation is so great. It's so comprehensive. All because Jesus purchased it for us. So are you willing to surrender at all? Every area of your life and saying, God, I want you to transform it. If that's the case, that's part of what happens when we do communion together. Communion is the perpetual remembrance of Christ purchasing so great a salvation for us. And communion is us affirming that we believe this salvation is ours through Christ alone. So guys, technically we cannot come to this, to this communion point without having surrendered. Without being willing to already say, God, I give it all to you. Sometimes we need that fresh reminder. And so at this point, I just, I just want to ask you to bow your heads and, and, and prayerfully reflect and, and, and ask the, the, the spirit of God what I, like, what's been going on this past week? Maybe some things more recently, like what have I felt and what have I done that are ungodly and, and, and what are the convictions behind them? You could do that right now. You could do that in this moment. So do that. Examine yourself with the Spirit of God as the torch leading the way into the darkest recesses of your heart. And then we'll take communion together. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesborofm.com.